John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hi, this is Steve. By this time, all of you probably know about our plan to explore every single Marvel movie on the 10th anniversary of its release date. Unfortunately, since Marvel released five movies before 2012, we still have a bit of catching up to do. Released 11 years ago, on May 8th, 2011, Thor brought director Kenneth Branagh to the Marvel Universe and introduced us to Chris Hemsworth as the title character, Anthony Hopkins as his father, Odin, Dr. Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman, and of course the great Tom Hiddleston as the enigmatic Loki. Thor is a lot of fun, but what will make this conversation even better is that you will be able to join us for it live on our YouTube channel, this Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. That only gives you a few days to cross the Bifrost to cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream Thor along with every other movie we've ever reviewed. And if you happen to support the show on patreon.com slash thecinephiles, you can hear John and I discuss movie theater etiquette. Believe me, we have a lot of opinions on the subject. So that's Movie Theater Etiquette on Patreon and a live discussion of Thor this Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time on our YouTube channel. Hope to see you there. Welcome to a live episode here of the Cinephiles on the Cinephiles YouTube channel where we're breaking down 2011's Thor from the Marvel Studios. I am the outlaw John Broca and I'm joined by my brother in the Cinephiles love, Steve Morris. How are you, Steve? I am good. I was just telling you off the camera that some VR boxing has kicked my ass today. But other than that, I'm feeling pretty good. Did it feel <laughs> like a hammer, like you were hit by a hammer, Thor's hammer Mjolnir while you were doing that workout can I ask uh a little bit you know there should be I think we need more like Marvel workouts in VR oh yes like I think that would be a, I think that would be a major money maker 
Look, um, if they can take Kumail Nanjiani and make him look like that for Eternals, there should absolutely be officially sanctioned Marvel workouts that you can do on an app or something. I agree with you. A hundred percent. You would make so much money, and I would, I would do them. <laughs> you know? There you go. Uh, well, Steve, tell the fans why we are jumping into this Marvel situation here. Thank you to everyone who's joining us live here. But we, you came, out, you kind of pitched me this idea, and it seemed like a great idea of us to kind of revisit these Marvel movies and kind of celebrate them. Those that have been around for more than ten years, as our arbitrary rule is. Uh, and we kind of talked about how many we're going to try to celebrate on their actual anniversary. And there are some that some that we're going to do uh, and give the full cinephiles treatment to and some that we're not going to do the full cinephiles treatment to. And recently we just did the Incredible Hulk and Iron Man 2. I think last month as a as a uh, live show, as a twosome, this is Thor, uh, or Kenneth Branagh's Thor from 2011. Why are we focused on doing this? Did you think it was just time for us to start focusing on it? What, what inspired this idea? You know what it really is? Is no. there are a couple of there are a couple of great Marvel movies I am genuinely excited to talk about. Right. And and I <laughs> this is so sad, but I, you know me, I'm kind of a completionist. Like <laughs> I, I, I there's so many series of books where I have, you know, the first one was great and the second one was pretty good and the third one not so much and by the 10th book, they're pretty bad, but I still feel compelled to read them all <laughs> because I have to complete the whole thing. Yeah, um, and so, like, I felt like um, that to, to kind of get a full look at the Marvel Universe, this would be a fun way to do it. And what yeah. it means is that for this six months or nine months or a year, we're doing way too many Marvel movies. You know, like this is yeah. we would never do this about anything else. But once we get caught up, yeah. then it's just one or two a year you know right which isn't a big deal and some of them will be live shows and then when we get to things in like 2027 <laughs> like infinity war yeah that'll be amazing by then the cinephiles will be 38 hours long per episode absolutely we'll have 500,000 <laughs> subscribers and followers it'll be massive by that but we need to have 500,000 subscribers way before 2027 i agree with you a thousand percent we gotta yeah. make that happen for sure uh but yeah so we're talking about 2011's thor ladies and gentlemen the stream labs and super chats are open during this discussion so if you have some questions or comments and you want to send in some support for the outlaw nation set, oh sorry for the uh, cinephiles send in some support for the things we're talking about here and for our show overall then please feel free some of you all watching you don't contribute patreon you want to send a one lump something this is a time to do it. If you're watching it right now, you can send a stream labs. We prefer stream labs because the uh, YouTube takes 20, it takes 50% of the super chats. So with stream labs, that's a more immediate thing that goes in to help us do all the things that we do for the cinephiles. And certainly if you're not a Patreon, a patron, that's the next step for you. Patreon.com slash the cinephiles for you to join us and uh, join at a tier that works for you. So you can get the benefits that work for you as well. Uh, yeah, Steve, this is 2011's Thor. Kenneth Branagh directing this. I was just in a room literally eight feet away from Kenneth Branagh uh, two wow. nights ago for the Hollywood Critics Association. And they they gave him like a Lifetime Achievement Award. And I got to see this incredible breath of his work as a video package, incredibly well-edited video package, and watch Branagh react to it. What a gift to be in the room to see one of my favorite actors slash directors, creators, uh, the man who introduced me to what film Shakespeare can actually be, how powerful it can be, to sit there and watch his own work and watch him react to it. It was so moving and incredible. And now, two days later, we're talking about one of his films that has Shakespearean vibes to it, that has an interesting scope and and scale to it 
and that launched Chris Hemsworth overall as an unknown Australian actor to lead actor status. I know we'd seen him in 2009 Star Trek as Kirk's dad, but it was a really short role. Right. Uh, this was the one that kind of established the idea of Thor. And Steve, you and I have both been comic books fans for a long time. Thor is one of those characters that we didn't know could make the jump to um, a theatrical interpretation because of some of the admitted overdone cheesiness at times in certain runs of Thor. So to see it come off in Kenneth Branagh's hands, what did you think about this film overall? And what did you think about what Branagh did with the character of Thor and Chris Hemsworth himself bringing it to life? Well, first of all, I just think that's so cool that you were so close to Kenneth Branagh. I I, I just watched uh, Belfast, which... Oh, the, the, the first half of it, I was like, going, okay, this is an interesting movie. The second half, it worked me. Once yeah. we got, once it's sort of settled in and it's a yeah. beautiful, beautiful film, it's like the antithesis of Thor. Yeah. Although it is a father son relationship on some right. level. Um, uh, so I think I, it's so funny. I have mixed feelings about Thor. Okay. I love Chris Hemsworth. Yes. I, th I think he was a total find. And, and it's so interesting to me. That look at what how Marvel started. They don't have Spider Man. They don't have the X books. They don't. They you know. And so we have this the Hulk movie, which is a t difficult character. Then you go to Iron Man, which was in my mind at best a third tier Marvel character. Yeah. I mean, back in the day, he was a big character. But when I came up in comics in the eighties, yeah. it was all about the X books and Spider Man. That was yeah. those were the important characters. And then you go to Thor, and it's just as you say. It's like have there been great runs on Thor, like the Walter Simonson run on Thor? Absolutely. Yeah. But Thor was never like the go-to character. So the fact that they chose to go do him next, and I think, while I don't think the movie is great, I think they figure out, it's like they figure out Thor in steps, mm -hmm. and they figure out Thor, part, part of his personality really well in this movie, yeah. and then they really figure him out by the time we get to Ragnarok, you know? Yeah, yeah. The different, yeah, the different directors that step in to kind of um, give you the elements of Thor. That's a great way to put it, Steve. The construction of the character over these three movies. Uh, it's really, uh, I think it's a criminally underappreciated. Both, all three of the Thor films. Of course, the third Thor film, everybody loves Ragnarok, pretty much right. universally beloved. But I think Thor Dark World has some good elements in it that I enjoy. It is not an unenjoyable movie. This first movie... I do enjoy it, but it does feel like a movie of its time. Do you know what I'm saying? Where they were still figuring out what yeah. the MCU was, what the magic was of, of making it work within the MCU. And there are moments where it feels like it drags a little bit or feels a little bit like, oh, we're out in the desert and they're fighting this steel thing that just shoots uh, lava lasers from its eyes. That there's there's a, We have Loki... But Loki isn't as active of a villain as we would like him to be. And as he becomes in Avengers, he isn't as active in Thor as we would like him to be. Even though we go deep into this mythology of Asgard and what have you, uh, it, it with the Frost Giants, uh, it doesn't 100% feel like we have a full-on antagonist or villain here that Thor is necessarily fighting. I don't think Loki makes sense in this movie. Okay. I keep trying to figure out why he's doing what he's doing. And and it's hard. Like, you have this, obviously, Tom Hiddleston has proven that his charisma in that character yeah. is like, this is someone that people adore. Yeah, cool. and, he's, and he's good in this. But it's like, 
first he seems like he kind of manipulates first he calls in the frost giants to bust up thor's you know coronation or whatever yeah, yeah. then he kind of manipulates him to attack the frost giants and it's like well were you thinking about doing that when you brought them in because it sounds like he wasn't he was just messing with the the uh coronation and then when thor turns it into a fight he um uh loki says damn as if he didn't want Thor to do that. Right. But it's Thor doing that that actually gets him, you know, the power. And it's like, and so Loki's just kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't think his character is completely figured out in terms of what is he actually trying to do, other than that he's a trickster and he's messing with people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, and, and also the we do get the we do get the sibling drama here that's very universal, very identifiable, you know, the second child. And then him finding out that he was actually a frost giant. So his his uh, we've seen this on numerous uh, of those special episodes on sitcoms where you find out the actual truth about a character. Uh, and here in this movie, you find out that he is a frost giant and that uh, uh, Odin adopted him after he had essentially subjugated the frost giants and what have you. So now there's even more of a division within the sibling rivalry. We're not even related by blood. So it becomes that kind of battle. And it's fascinating to see because I think you're seeing both Hemsworth and Hiddleston at the beginnings of their right. um, careers as actors embracing their strength as leads uh, and also the beginning of their relationship with each other in these roles as it progresses. Because by the time it gets to Ragnarok, it is a very well-oiled machine between them. And I think Dark World does a great job of kind of pushing that relationship forward after the death of their mom Frigga there's a lot that gets explored with both of them as they work together to take down Christopher Eccleston's character the dark elf there but in this there's yeah as you said he is thoroughly the god of mischief because he doesn't seem to have a plan he's just about creating chaos and then indulging whatever um, infantile desire he has in the moment irregardless of what the um, ultimate result is going to be I don't know that he's he has an ultimate goal that he's trying to achieve. You know what? I just figured out what the problem is. Go is ahead. that is that if if you go, what is the cathartic, important, life-changing moment for Loki in the movie? Yeah. It's discovering that he's actually a frost giant, that he is that yes. Odin's not his dad. That's the big thing. Right. But they don't have him go through a character transformation at that moment. Right. Is that if you had him be a trickster and always sort of smarter and ahead and playing games with people, but fully pro- Odin, maybe a little jealous of Thor, right. but fully like loves dad. And then uh, and then he finds out this truth and then he turns. That yeah. would make more sense. But calling the biggest enemies into, you know, letting them into Asgard, into like where the treasures are kept. Yeah, that's not a, a, a little thing. That is a big he's already doing evil things. Yeah. Therefore, there's no transition when he finds out this piece of information. You know that's what I mean? Fair. Yeah, that's fair. And as for the Thor uh, journey here, that's really the focus of this movie. This is essentially a Tom Cruise movie where you have the arrogant totally. first act of 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 uh, Thor here, thinking that everything should be handed to him because everything's been easy to him. He's he is essentially a god. He is good looking. He can sleep with whoever he wants. He can kick anyone's ass. And so naturally he feels, and it's an element of white privilege now looking back. We didn't use that term back then really in the mainstream audience uh, of uh, analysis, 
Now looking back, it's very clear this is a white privilege movie in the first quarter or the first part of the movie, first act of the movie, because everything is so easy to him. Everything is given to him. He can kick anyone's ass. And so he thinks naturally he deserves the throne and what it is. And then he can indulge his anger or his rage or his, or his petulance whenever he feels like it because he's never lost. And so for him, it feels like a natural arrogance or a natural thing to do, even though it looks arrogant from the outside. And this is the thing that eventually lands him in hot water with Odin when he goes back and attacks the Frost Giants for their coming in to try to take back the casket of ancient winters. And he gets his title stripped from him. He gets everything stripped from him and he lands back on Earth. Now, Loki loves this because now it means Loki has a straight uh, beeline to the throne but what it ends up ha- what ends up happening is Thor goes on, as we said, the Tom Cruise journey of realizing of his arrogance was wrong, realizing the mistakes he was raising, realizing the care for these human creatures, and including Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman, that he has to come to terms with the fact that he was um, not a good person and he had to grow. And because he's a hero, he does grow, as opposed to what you mentioned, Loki. There's no arc. There is an arc here for Thor. So what did you think about how they, they constructed the arc here throughout the story and the script and the film itself? So I think it's really interesting that Iron Man is a story about an arrogant jerk <laughs> who has a comeuppance and then and then realizes, you know, uh, who he has been and he changes. And this is the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think and, and what's so funny is I think arrogant Thor is way less likable than arrogant Tony Stark. Like Tony Stark, as much as he's a complete jerk in the beginning of the movie, yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is so charming yes, that yes. you're just kind of enjoying it anyway. Whereas Thor is an idiot. He's arrogant. He's just he's just terrible, mm-hmm. you know, for the he's first- He's a rich kid. Yeah. He's a rich kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you make an excellent point because they do have that moment with Stark and the young army dude before- Mm-hmm. They get attacked, you know, taking the pictures, making the jokes. He's very charming, as you said, when he's out. And then when he gets thrown in with the scientist there in the cave, you can tell there's a genuine desire to connect. There isn't an arrogance there. He may be aggressive. He may be abrasive in trying to achieve a goal. But his overall nature is not necessarily one of um, uh, dismissiveness to someone he sees as an equal, you know, or someone he sees as in the same boat as him, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's, it's the, um, you see the essential good heart with Tony Stark yeah. as you move forward. Yeah, he's yeah. still arrogant and he's still a jerk and he still, you know, does all his Tony Stark stuff, yeah. but you know that he's a good person. And I think it's very much the same transformation with Thor. Thor at the beginning, he, all he's interested in is showing yeah. his own power. Yeah, that's all he wants to, you know, he's not listening to dad at all, which, by the way, I always go like, you're a young guy, but you're essentially immortal. You've been alive for a thousand plus years. Right. right. You're still not listening to dad. It's like, dude, grow up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, come on. Like Odin is. Well, it's, it's so funny because I always go through things where I'm kind of like, we want to believe that Odin is a great dad and he's a wise man and a wise king and a wise God and knows what he's doing. But clearly he is not, yeah. you know, because his two sons are really fucked up. You know? yeah. Well, just like, Hey, look, how, how many stories have we read about famous people who accomplish so much and are sure doing so many things, but, but the cost is their relationship with their own children, which is the ironic cr- cost of their ability to spend, spread joy or spread incredible things or create incredible things in the world that 
other children will be able to use in a positive way and appreciate the actual children of creators sometimes uh, or famous men or women even are sometimes uh, suffer the brunt of the they're missing all the time. And yeah. certainly it seems like, and we find out in Ragnarok that Odin has been conquering for quite some time. Yeah. And Thor has certainly been allowed to have the run of the house, even with Frigga, who is a good mom. I would say there is a, a Thor, there is a little bit of indulgence to Thor. So in a way, Odin has kind of created this situation himself by being a bit of an absentee father. Um, and so he wants his son to learn and his son gets stripped and, you know, he has to go on that journey there, meeting Jane Foster, as I mentioned, Natalie Portman, meeting Darcy, uh, meeting Darcy Lewis, uh, there played by Kat Dennings and Dr. Eric Selvig played by uh, Stellan Skarsgård. And he, you know, gets to know them. And then his warriors come down when they find out that Loki is trying to take over the throne because of uh, Odin's Odin sleep. And it is it, it and he sends the destroyer down there to, to kill Thor, to kill the warriors, the Lady Sif and all them. Uh, and in the end, Thor is the one who sacrifice, who offers himself up. And that's what ends up bringing the hammer back to Thor. Because when he lands on that earth, he can't pick up the hammer. So he has to deal with the fact that he's unworthy. What do I do when the thing that I most relied upon as a symbol of my strength is removed from me? I can either slip into a state of just feeling terrible about myself and never find my way back out of it. Or work to realize what it is i need to do to find my way back you know and and people love an underdog story even when this guy is a rich kid steve it still is a bit of an underdog story after he loses his powers and he's stripped of stripped of mjolnir well i mean that's a classic thing the mighty have now fallen and that's yeah. where they're going to learn deep lessons and we got lots of stories that are like that my yeah. question for you is yeah do you buy it do you feel like he really goes <laughs> through enough that he that he's really changed yeah and as i said i, I don't 100 percent buy because as i said this is still the beginnings of the mcu i don't think they know exactly the right formula yet to really get people to enjoy it for the most part and so they're still kind of figuring it out and finding their way or feeling their way in the dark a little bit here to try to get it right and it and it shows in a movie like this and hey, look brana brana's a damn good director you you know he can direct the movie can he direct some bad ones like artemis fowl yes but he's a damn good director for the most part. So he is bringing his Shakespearean vision here, the father and son issues, the sibling issues, uh, meeting, you know, losing power, right? As you said, the fall from grace, the mighty have fallen. King Lear is all about that, right? The arrogance of King Lear and his daughters, you know, kicking them out, kicking Cordelia out because she won't kiss his ass like the other two daughters do. And he ends up losing the whole kingdom and realizing that the fool is the one that's been telling him the truth from the beginning, the person he dismissed, and then has to kind of climb his way back up to try to um, uh, repair that relationship because he was lost in his own hubris and arrogance. And essentially, that's kind of there are elements of that here, even though you know Thor's not an old man. There are elements of that here, and I think that's why they brought in Brana. And but it's also why Taika's version works better, Steve, because. You can't take Shakespeare too seriously in order to fully enjoy it. And I think they kind of defaulted to Brana bringing that element to it in the first film. But then you had to kind of break that to kind of fully release the character as they did in, in uh, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, so first of all, I think in general, Lear is a better script than Thor. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> Some people might disagree. 
But I also I how think this whole this sounds awful. Um, I also think oh by the way this is totally off the topic, but yeah. I just saw that there is now a 4K release of Ron. Yes, uh, Arrow is doing it. I think. Yeah. Uh, speaking of on, Lear, I've yeah. been because there's only been like a terrible old transfer forever. I haven't watched it in a long time. Oh yeah. I can't imagine how amazing that movie's going to look in 4K. I agree. That sounds like a, a future Cinephiles episode, in my opinion. So sure. I'm happy to do that. It's yeah. a lot of a movie. So back back to back to Shakespeare and Brana. I think that's totally the idea. Oh, we we have this heightened language. Mm-hmm. It's a Shakespearean story. We're going to bring the Shakespeare guy in. I think it's a mismatch. I because I don't think it's Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I and I don't I can't say I, I like Kenneth Brown a lot. I like you. I've loved a bunch of his movies. Um, I, I don't know if he's phoning in on this one, but like I don't feel just because you're having people speak with these and thou's doesn't mean it's Shakespeare. You know what I mean? Right. And I think I think it was treated more like a comic book movie than I wish it was in the in the older batter sense, mm-hmm. which is it wasn't taken like and I'll tell you two things I really don't like. Sure. I really don't like many of the design elements of Asgard, particularly okay. the ridiculous helmets and the there's just so it too, well, much? It, it's too, it's too much. Yeah, it just it just looks silly to me and not it doesn't look like it has any purpose other than being, you know, gigantic. And 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 the thing that they said was they wanted everything to be totally pristine. So there's no not a thing of not a scratch, not a piece of dust, nothing out of place. Everything is perfect. And I think that's a total mistake because I think this is actually a place where people live and it should have been lived in, not dirty, but like a place that feel like feels like these people are here, you know, and that when you get to Ragnarok, I think some of those things change a bit. And then even they go to the world of New Mexico, which again, feels like a totally built on a set. Yeah. This is a set version of a small town in New Mexico. You've driven across the country. I've yep. driven across the country. Yep. That's not what those towns look like. You know, like they're not. And, and so even if you wanted to have Asgard be totally pristine and perfect, well, yep. then all the more reason to make the town in New Mexico real and gritty and feel like yep. those places. Yep. So and there's this and, and the way, like you know, town, you're not wrong there. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 not, and so and so they're all so those design elements are kind of separating me from the movie. And I think, and it, it, like I think one of Marvel's ideas is, well, bring in a really good director. We don't have to worry about them with the special effects because that's a different department. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. They're going to work with the actors, and then we're going to do all the action scenes. And I don't like the way a lot of the action scenes are shot. Mm. And part of it is it's kind of earlier CGI, and yes. they haven't figured all this stuff out. But like, it's so old school in the terms of here's the big effect cut to the humans cut to the effect and they're not integrated in a way that makes me feel like the like if you think about jurassic park which is way earlier yeah they're always putting the humans near the effect or having them interact with them yeah, in yeah. a way that makes you feel like you're there and i don't think they do that in this film at all okay. it's either special effect or it's humans you know that's fair uh this philip bryan said uh can't stay Saw you were live and wanted to drop in. Well wishes. I'll catch the show later today. Thanks, Philip. Later today. Thanks. Where are you at, uh, Philip? Is it only morning where you're at? Or are you on the in Australia? Tell me where are you at <laughs> later today? Um, we have a couple stream lives that have come through here. Steve, Chris just donated ten dollars. Thank you, Chris. Very kind of Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Brennan Marr donated. Hey, Brennan. Good to see you. <laughs> uh, Brennan says, "Hey, John and Steve, 
I've always really liked this film because it's the movie that got me locked into the MCU. Something I really admire is how Brana or Brana, uh, as I've been corrected by a number of British people recently, Brana was able to handle both the big Shakespearean drama and the earthbound hilarity. Uh, do you do you agree with uh, with Brennan? Do you find some earthbound hilarity in this? I think the best moments are the comedic moments. Mm -hmm. I, you know, Thor throwing the the coffee mug down. Oh. Yeah, that's what I mean. That is where the movie is totally working for me. Or yeah, yeah, I agree. I, well, I, I, I 100 agree with, you, with that, uh, Brendan. I, I and then what Steve said, absolutely. The, the humor is what works here. The other stuff feels a little overdone, a little overcooked. Um, and I think it's a, it's a again. They're, they, I don't think they were 100 sure on what they were. And plus, you're transferring Thor, Steve. As I said, it's one of the most difficult characters to transfer over because everything, most of the runs in Thor is grandiose and these large helmets and these huge right. hammer and swords and these big, you know, the big red cape and the boots and the helmet itself. All of it is so uh, grandiose that maybe they felt that that was the way to honor the actual intention of the uh, or the actual creation of the character in the comics and now looking back on it we find that it's not as uh i don't know it's not as it would have been the it wouldn't have been the the first choice nowadays to go that route with that character i think what we discovered was that chris hemsworth is really fucking funny yes 100 and, and that was sort of as we get to you know the journey to ragnarok is like oh no we know what we can do and sometimes you know you see this in tv shows all the time where the yeah. show starts and they haven't quite figured out the character and by the second season they go oh this is what this is what is really working and it's yeah. the humor that really works with thor yeah parks and rec is a perfect example of that don't ever watch the first season watch that start with the second season and you will love that show for sure uh, let's move on to the jane foster question here uh, steve we have natalie portman coming back for Thor Love and Thunder, which a lot of people thought wasn't going to happen uh, because she kind of made it clear in coded language and sometimes on the point language that she wasn't happy with how Jane Foster was constructed in the first two Thor movies, especially in this movie. And didn't and a lot of people, a lot of MCU fans felt there wasn't any real chemistry between Thor and Jane Foster in either of the first two movies, uh, although they tried hard. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that there wasn't much chemistry between these two? And um, uh, what do you feel about how they handle Jane Foster in the first two movies? Or in the first so movie? In, in general, I almost always like Natalie Portman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think she's, even in some movies, there's like this trilogy whose name I can't remember that I don't like the trilogy very much, but I think she's good in it. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember what that thing was. It was like 20 years ago. I don't know. Trilogy? Big space thing. I don't, don't worry about it. It's not. Okay, important. fair enough. Was there... <laughs> Another person involved who might be coming back to reprise something in that trilogy? I don't know. I think there was. Yes. yes. There might be. Yes. I don't know. You know, we see so many movies. It's not that it's important. True. It's um, But I, I genuinely like her. I think, like, there are moments, like, the moment where he, you know, gets the hammer back and uniforms up and she goes, oh, my God. It's <laughs> great and really funny. I yeah. think they're fine together. I don't think they – but I agree – she is her character is the here's the smart science woman who right. doesn't really do anything in fact it's stellan skarsgård who does the active choices yeah she's just kind of there as as i'm the love interest you know what i mean yeah, yeah. so i understand why she's not all that thrilled with the part yeah and, and you know and I, that may explain why in the second film they turn Stellan Skarsgård, obviously because Loki's been inside him, as we find out in the post credit scene of this movie. 
uh, and so Jane has to be the one that kind of coordinates everything and makes sure certain things happen in certain ways so they can, uh, you know, defeat the dark elf there uh, that uh, Eccleston is playing. And so that may be that they kind of because also Natalie, remember, 2011 is not 2022. Natalie Portman, like she is also still kind of figuring out how much of her voice she can push forward as an actress to kind of um, hone and and shift the character to work for what she wants the character to do. You know, I mean, one of the big two big criticisms of Marvel at the beginning are how they treat their female characters and how they how and those villains that aren't that interesting for the most part and it becomes an issue and one of the cases they cite is this movie because of that destroyer being this voiceless nameless villain that just comes down and shoots lava darts out of its face or lava rays out of its face so that's one of the issues there um yeah i i agree i i I like her in the movie but i don't know that i buy that there's that much chemistry and even in the second film I don't buy that, that there's that much chemistry as well. Now, what about uh, Loki's plan here, Steve? Because Loki's plan, we find out in the end, Loki's plan is essentially to win the love of his adopted father and prove himself. So in a way, his misguided attempts to do everything are a way to prove himself to his father. And Thor has to prove himself to his father down in New Mexico. And you would argue that what the fuck is wrong with this guy that he has? He creates this, these uh, unfair expectations of both of these children that they have to constantly satisfy him and prove their love to him, whether consciously or subconsciously. So I remember when we did Black Panther a couple of years ago, yeah. and we started talking about all the characters in the Marvel Universe who have daddy issues. And it, <laughs> yeah, it's, right. it's almost all of them. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> like there's so many of them. And it's it's so I don't think again I go to I don't think Loki makes sense because well taking over the throne yeah. and banishing Thor and then having your dad assassinated is not really proving yourself to your you know what I mean like right, that, right. The, and and it's like did he want the throne before he found out that he was a frost giant kid would right. he have had dad assassinated and the answer is probably not but I don't see the transition that much yeah I think. <laughs> I, I, I go, you know, the, you know what I think the other big thing is, do you think Thor has a bottom? Like, does he hit bottom? And if so, at what point? Like in the classic, you know, oh. addiction that, that, cause for this kind of a story, yeah, you should have a character hit the absolute bottom. They have to do a thing. They have to feel true shame and mm-hmm. get to a place where they ha- they're ready to change. And, and he hits he has some moments but i don't think he actually goes to a place like because i'm thinking about the jane foster relationship and i go if he betrayed her in some way if he did something through his arrogance through his lack of care you know that that was really messed up and then saw the consequences of his actions Mm -hmm. and then truly repented because what they have now is it's just i'm willing to sacrifice my life and now i've proven myself worthy yeah, this is a great point you bring up because even when he lands on Earth and he's stripped of all his powers and stripped of Mjolnir, he immediately falls in with a beautiful scientist, you know, an attra- her attractive sidekick, her intelligent scientist that she works for, and they help him. So mm-hmm. there is no bottom where he's like, I have no one. Yeah. I'm all alone. I have to figure this out on my own and find my way back and learn the lessons of finding my way back. Yeah, I mean, you could argue his bottom is essentially as soon as he lands on Earth. No powers and he can't wield Mjolnir. 
Um, but he's still acting like an arrogant jerk. Yes, exactly. So, so, there so that's no, yeah, yeah. Well, and you could say that okay, Loki comes in, which is a brutal scene. I think it's a really good scene. Oh, when yeah. Loki comes in and says, "Dad's dead," and yeah. "Sorry, you got to stay here," and "Mom doesn't ever want you to come back." I mean, that's right. fucked up. That is a really, really, and so that's near the bottom. Yeah. But then I think it's after that that he goes out drinking with Stellan Skarsgård, and they're having a great time. Yes, true. And it's a totally funny, enjoyable scene, but it is not dealing with reckoning with this. Right. Oh my God, I'm all alone on this strange planet. I don't have my powers. I don't have anybody. You know? Right. Because even Stellan Skarsgård is like, Oh my God, you're from Norse mythology. You know, he's initially hesitant and then step by step kind of explores who Thor might be. And then, of course, Jane Foster, same thing. And she's turned on by him physically as well. So he's never without being like lauded or being without uh, that feeling of like people revere him to a degree. So he never has to feel that rejection, that full rejection of everything around him that's an excellent you, point you bring up you have to have there should have been a scene where this darcy and stone scars garden and jane foster they all turn their backs on him yeah yeah right because he behaves in such a way that just goes no fuck you we don't need you around yeah like that's not and in particular if jane gives him a talking to and kicks his ass with words right to the point that because then what it does is it elevates her and puts him beneath her and go, oh, this is a person who's not a god, yeah. but who I can learn from, who actually has my number and has figured me out. Well, then we would have some chemistry between, you know what I mean? That's, those are bases for a relationship. And then he has, and then he has to, yes, sacrificing yourself does show nobility. Right. But it's not like Thor wasn't willing to go into a fight and die before. You know, <laughs> I mean, he always thought he was going to win, but right, right. I, I also, I have another question, by the way, which is, sure. I don't understand Thor's powers. How okay. much so he how much of his powers are just from him being a god? How Ooh. much more powers does he get when he gets actually has the hammer? Right. And because he still clearly can kick some ass when he's just a human. Right. You know, so I've just a little I don't know what where what his powers are without the hammer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, clearly he has godlike abilities in terms of his physical his natural physical state is one of an, an elevated physical state in that he's able to take an exorbitant amount of punishment and deliver an exorbitant amount of punishment right the hammer is only an extension it's always ever been just an extension of his power already so um yeah it's no different than someone who wields a bat or wields a hammer or wields whatever <laughs> or chainsaw if you've watched peacemaker it's not, it, it makes no difference uh that's the extension of the power so it just allows him to focus his power even more uh, uh through the the already um, um magically enhanced hammer like mjolnir so it's just it, he's already naturally that he's, also, he's essentially a superman he's essentially a superman See, um, I, I always get the sense that he, without the hammer, he too, is yeah. what? Sorry, because he can fly with the hammer as well. Right. Yeah. So I always get the sense that without the hammer, he's like this level of strong. Yeah. And then with this, the, with the hammer, he's it's like doubled. Yeah. And he and it and, and maybe it's you're, you're right. It's let and I think we see later on that he can do lightning stuff yes. without the hammer. Right. If he really learns how to focus it, so maybe it's just helping him out. But I also, but it's also kind of where I go. Like, it's, what's interesting is you know the the whole there's the mentioned Donald Blake, and when yes. I first read Thor comics, the, he was this originally. It's just a human with a limp who becomes Thor, you know. And then later on, they say no, 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 no. That was Thor all along. I think is yeah. what they. It, it, but 
it would have been interesting if it's it's just a different movie but if he really tried like we have him bust into the camp it just kicked the shit out of everybody yeah yeah and it would again because i want to humble him more it would be interesting if he went and took a swing at somebody and actually wasn't that tough anymore right a bigger you dude know? knocks him out yeah right right and if you've seen what if that happens in what if for those of you who've seen one of the episodes of what if and we explore what would life be like if that had happened to thor what would his story be if that had happened to thor and he didn't get to the hammer so yeah i mean that's a Excellent point you bring up here, Steve. Um, what did you think about the uh, the the as a director? You're watching the movie, the pacing of the film. What did you think of the overall? Like, did they hit the right beats in the right moments in terms of emotion? Was it emotionally resonant in any way? Did you feel anything as you watched? So, just tell me the pacing of it overall. Do you think it's a bit j- uh, janky, or do you think it works? I think it's a little all over the place. I think okay. so. Like the moment, the Loki scene with, that I, we were just talking about. Yeah, yeah, man, that works. Loki finding out these are frost giant totally works. Yeah, the you know the throw in the other com- comedic moments they totally work, but they're they, I don't think they always fit together. Like, um, I don't understand Coulson's motivations. You know, like why right. does he let Thor go at that moment, and what right. you know, like it, it doesn't it doesn't all quite make sense to me. Um, Is I he think- fanboying? Or is it a, an attraction? What do you think's going on there uh, with Coulson? Yeah, I I see. It, I, th- there's a thing you could do in a movie <laughs> where you go like, this person clearly has a plan. Yeah, you know, like because Coulson lets him go, like, ah, oh, yeah, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna follow him or something like that. Yeah, but he clearly doesn't really have a plan. It right. just kind of seemed like he had it. Well, and this is like, does Coulson know about gods and that? Th- does he have any suspicion of what the hammer is? I think he has an idea, right? Because remember, the, we're what one movie away from him throwing the tra- the trading cards on the glass oh, surface right. after he dies. So clearly, he's aware. Uh, but I think this is our first, right? Our first exposure to Thor on Earth. So yeah, I think Coulson's kind of blown away by the fact that this guy even exists. But um, does he think he's Thor? Why would he think he's Thor at the beginning? Because some guy tries to break into this weird facility where it's surrounding this hammer, tries to grab the hammer, has a lot of martial skills. Yeah. They they capture him. What on earth would make him think that this was a god? That's a good question. William H. Bonnie, you are not a god. So, yeah, I mean, this is an excellent (laughs) point you bring up here with this. uh, I've always suspected that... um, Coulson has some interest on that side of the fence. Uh, I'm not saying exclusively. I'm saying it's in play. And I, I've always felt that that reaction to Thor in that moment was a little bit of an allusion to maybe a, um, a homosexual attraction or some form of attraction to him that may not be sexual in nature, but some form. Because he maybe he's like, you know, maybe he's that kid who followed all the high school quarterbacks around and did their homework or whatever and so he's got that. Maybe that comes back to him in that moment because it's a really odd reaction. What he lets Thor get away with. You know? Yeah. Well, I've never. I only watched a few episodes of Agents of Shield. Is this a? Yeah. Is this a thing? Don't ask like, me. I, I did not like that show, so I had never watched that. I watched two or three episodes of that show. I could not stomach it. It was not s- my same thing. here. Although I heard it got better. I, I. That's what I heard. Yeah. But there's only so many. There are only so many hours in the day, <laughs> and there's way too much. Yeah. There's yes. way too much stuff. 24 episodes of season. I'm not doing that. I'm yeah. not watching that in the shield. Um, um, yeah. 
what what else you got? What are the questions you got, man? You said you well, got questions. What do you think of the casting of Anthony Hopkins as Odin? It's a mo- the most perfect casting. It's yeah. so good. I mean, I love him as Odin. And especially, I mean, I do not watch Ragnarok once without crying when he walks away, when he dies. It is because he spends these first two movies really laying the groundwork of the kind of hard-ass dad that he is. And in the third movie is the confrontation of all his sins. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen this. You talk about the father-son issues throughout the Marvel movies. Certainly T'Chaka and T'Challa having them. And certainly here, Odin and and Thor having them as well. For Odin's own judgment of Thor in the first movie, here comes Thor with the knowledge of Hela and all that that happened there to kind of turn the dynamic back around to to showcase, hey, man, you were a pretty big jerk yourself. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to kind of go through that with me? But the casting of him, 100%, I love. I do enjoy Rene Russo, although I'm really mad they didn't do anything with her in the first movie. She does carry weight in the second movie when she passes, but that's because Rene Russo is a damn good actress. But there could have been more with her here in this first, first movie. But yeah, Hopkins is it's just so fantastic, dude. He can bellow those lines like nobody's business. Man. Yeah, the, the when he says, you know, you're a... I forget what he calls Thor when he scolds him, but that scene is yeah. just... Is just great. No, he he's awesome. I think I think all the supporting players are good. Like I think every word that Darcy says is great. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. She's great. Kat Dennings is fantastic uh, in in laying the groundwork of her character for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm I'm less interested in Lady Sif and the Warriors Three. Like, <laughs> I, I you know what I remember? This is my experience. Is 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 they showed up on screen and I'm like, oh, they're doing that. You know, because I recognize her for the comic books and then. I don't really care about them that much. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because, I mean, it's Zachary Levi who ends up becoming uh, Shazam down the road for the DC universe. but And it's Ray Stevenson who is now, I think, what is Ray Stevenson? Oh, yeah, he was Punisher for one of those Punisher movies, the I think Warzone, um, and uh, Jamie Alexander. And then uh, I, I can't remember the Japanese, I think it's a Japanese actor who plays the other character. Oh, I'm looking up before I get in trouble and get canceled here. But yeah, and, and then you get Idris Elba, who's pretty much a, I mean, he's such a fantastic actor, but you don't give him much to do through the first three films. And especially here, he's just manning the Bifrost Bridge and having these <laughs> conversations with Thor. But it isn't until Thor and he has, they actually give yeah. him an active role. Yeah. And he has the most ridiculous of all the helmets, like just these oh, huge yeah. things you can barely see his face. And it's like, it's like he's like the bus driver. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just what a fucking waste of that actor. Well, like, once again, this is Marvel at the beginning. And once again, before Black Lives Matter, before Me Too, using characters of color uh, in a way that makes no fucking sense. And you turn them into token characters in your movie. Someone as accomplished and talented as Idris Elba. Then you have a, essentially a one barely two dimensional uh, Jane Foster in Natalie Portman, a really one dimensional uh uh, Frigga in Rene Russo. So you kind of are draw, and even Jamie Alexander is essentially in love with Thor. And but there's not more, there's no scenes with Jamie Alexander on her own. It isn't until we get to Loki that we get her having scenes without Thor on her own, which is really fun to see on the Loki TV series. So it's like, it's interesting how they develop this stuff, you know. And it, it, I think they just weren't aware of, of, and maybe the public wasn't ready, maybe, to see that just yet. 
and they've certainly made up for it over the last few years and are still making up for it as they go forward. But yeah, when you go back and watch some of these films, they feel dated because of how they approach people of color and women and, and their roles in these movies. Well, you know, I think you cannot underestimate how hard it is to escape the locked in tropes of the past. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the damsel in distress is like every fucking action movie and action story and comic book since the beginning. And so getting away from that and going, well, how could we do that a little differently? Uh, it's hard. It takes, yeah. and, and particularly when you got the same people writing the thing and now they're expected to write it in a different way. Um, you know, it's like the, those four characters, uh, they're just like kind of backgroundy supporty characters. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. They, they don't have a lot of, and, and, and they're literally kind of written as cliches. Yes. Right. Uh, and yeah. then, then they are cliches instead of, yeah. Cause, cause them following Thor to the frost giant world at the beginning it's just like, what are you doing? Like, right. why would you do this? It is such a stupid thing to do. And the fact that they go with him yeah. is weird, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to correct something. Josh Dallas is the one who plays Fandral in this movie. Zachary Levi is in the second movie in Dark World. Mm. So my apologies there. And the Japanese actor who plays Hogan is uh, Tadanobu Asano. So Tadanobu Asano is the one who plays him consistently all the way until Hela kills him in Thor Ragnarok. So, yeah, you're right. They're, they're, they're not given much to do other than to kiss Thor's ass. They're not given much to do other than to be Thor's party buds. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's because in the way they were presenting this, Thor is seen as, you know, this kind of character that has a lot to learn. And it isn't until later when they come to try to save him that he understands the value of their friendship. Um, and maybe that's why you cast the actors that you cast in these roles, Steve, because you know they're not going to get a lot of screen time. So the audience has to immediately like them. So they need to have either some kind of energy or charm or able to make the most out of the least amount of screen time that they're going to get. That's maybe why you go with established actors like this rather than some B-movie actors that you can throw in to throw a couple of lines out there and pretend and be Thor's friends. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying maybe. I mean, it's a, it's funny. It, I think that Thor is enjoyable. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, oh, yeah. No. It's a yeah. totally enjoyable movie. It's just I, I think that doesn't quite all deliver emotionally the way i think it's trying to i guess yeah. is what how i'd say it yeah yeah fair fair uh, let's we've spent some time like tearing this thing can we talk about things that you liked what you just mentioned you think overall you do you, you don't not enjoy the movie so what are the things that work for you besides the humor besides besides um uh uh you know the scene with loki and thor there about his, her, their father are there are there any other things that you do like about the movie um, well, I think so. I, I love Chris Hemsworth. Yes. Um, I do think. Did you think feel like his skin color was sort of washed out in this weird way <laughs> in the first Thor? Maybe. I don't know. It's I like mean, something about I've like never had he, that thought, but maybe yeah, that his eyebrows are slightly lightened or something. Oh, that maybe makes they were his, making it very blonde. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, um. Uh. So I like him a lot. I mm -hmm. think the action sequence, the attack on the the base with Hawkeye, yeah. who we haven't talked about yet. I think that's the best action sequence in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a lot of fun. Okay. I think that uh, obviously Tom Hiddleston is, you can just see the charisma and how interesting that guy is. Yeah. Um, I love going drinking with Stellan Skarsgård. I think that's a, a fun scene. Yeah. I think the, um, I think the moment, even though I don't feel like Thor earned it as much as I would like the moment of getting the hammer back and suddenly becoming Thor 
that is super super satisfying yeah the battle with loki at the end i don't like i don't think it i don't quite understand what's going on it feels weird yeah it's weird it feels like a tacked on story beat to lead to the avengers like we've got to get to the avengers so let's do this moment where loki let's go and i think it's a i think hemsworth acts the shit out of that moment and so does hiddleston but in the end it doesn't really makes sense because it seems like he's come to understand and want and appreciate his relationship with Thor and Odin yet in the next movie he's trying to take over Earth so it just doesn't 100% work to make sense that he goes all the way down goes to Earth and takes over Selvig's body as we see in the post credit scene um, in this movie it doesn't 100% work that he kind of realized things and still went evil trying to take over a, a, an entire world. You know? Well, I don't think Loki, uh, as much as I like the actor, and, I, and and when you get to the Loki TV series, I think that's where his character makes Ooh. the most sense. Agreed. But so, it's like there's, you know, people have conflicts and forgive people. Yeah. But when you pr- try to have me banished to Earth and try to kill me for yeah. me to forgive you, seems like a long way to go. But let's say I do. And then in the next movie... You know, you go like, no, no, really, I'm going to be cool. And then you betray me again. And then you betray me in Avengers. And then it's like a certain point. It's like, no, Loki's a terrible person. Why does Thor keep going back and trying to trust him? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't I don't think they walk. There should there's a real tightrope to walk with that character mm-hmm. to make him his actions motivatable right. and still have us like him and not totally turn on him. I think it's really just that the actor is so great that we. Yeah just stick want to stick with him well i want to address this thing that uh um sean gardner is in here i love sean sean's a big mcu guy so thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us sean he said what had idris elba done pre-2011 or whenever thor came out was 2011 maybe they didn't know what they had in him as an actor well it's you you ask that question and we go before 2011 he had done a number of episodes of the big c he had been in takers he'd been in the losers He'd been in the office as one of the potential people to take over the office. Remember, after Michael Scott had left, he was a part of it, and uh, he'd had the, a seven-episode run with them. Um, he'd been in Rock and Rolla as one of the kind of co-leads of that film, along with um, Gerard Butler uh, in that film for Guy Ritchie. He had been in This Christmas, which is a, a, a black-focused uh, Christmas movie. 28 Weeks Later, American Gangster. Uh, uh, he'd been in the gospel. Uh, well, so he's been and, in the, and the wire. He'd in the wire. In, That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. So th- he had been in a number of things uh, before 2011. He started acting back in the early 90s, the 1990s. So there was plenty of information that you would have had for him um, that you could have had access to uh, to to understand what the kind of actor that you had. So I would say that he had he had a footprint. You know, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's that character isn't that interesting, right. and you know, it's like they they didn't give him very much to do, yeah. and then they put him in a giant helmet that makes you impossible to see his face, yeah. and they give him a character that can't move very much. I think by Ragnarok they actually make him interesting, you know, yeah. but but yeah. here they really don't. Yeah. Um, uh, Transit of Mars uh, says. Um, Indeed, his eyebrows were bleached. Feige said it was one of the biggest mistakes he's made. LOL. So, yeah, they were bleached. There you go. 
Um, yeah, Eric it, does, Bre- it looks weird. It does, doesn't it? Right? Yeah, that's a good point. Now that you pointed out, now I'm thinking about it. Like, oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. I didn't. It never occurred to me, but you know. Uh, Eric Grebner says best cinematography in a Brano film up until Murder on the Orient Express. Really? You don't think Dunkirk? Well, that's not. That's Nolan's, I guess. Uh. Uh. I I think uh, there are a long list of movies I think have better cinematography for that, uh, including Hamlet and uh, you know uh, Dead Again. Dead Again is that what's called? Dead Again, yes. The the kind of noir mystery that he did after Henry V. Yes, I think he's got a bunch of movies with good cinematography. But the bet, but Belfast. Oh my God, that looks amazing. That film, absolutely. J and B saying at work at the moment, so I have to watch this later. But just want to send in some love and to thank you guys. For all the work you do, well, thank you, JMP. Thank you, JMP, and JMP is a big uh, enterprise incidents guy. So oh, thank good. you for your support on that show too. Very kind of you. Um, now let's move on here, Steve. Um, looking at the film itself, anything more? Do we need to do? We like Confiore or Confiore? Do we like the score? Patrick Doyle does the score for the movie here. That's Brana's boy. Patrick Doyle did Henry V. That's what they both kind of got announced with is still the score that is my favorite score of any Brana film. They played it at his, tri- they played it all through the tribute mm. at the Hollywood critics, which, which just sent me to a whole nother level in the stratosphere. So um, what do we think about Patrick Doyle's music in Thor? Can I, can I make a terrible admission? <laughs> I, I can't even hear it in my head. I'm trying to think of what the score is. And I, I got nothing for you. I got right, nothing. What, did you, what do you think about the score of Thor? I think it's a good score. It's not a great score. It's not one of those great Marvel scores, but it's a unique score in the, in the um, lexicon of the Marvel mm-hmm. movies. This score is an unusual score. It fits for the movie that Brana was trying to make. And maybe like you said, the audaciousness of the designs and the and the helmets and the costumes and Asgard, all of it, uh, the score fits that. And maybe that's why the score isn't as memorable or as um, as uh, revered as other scores in the MCU. Certainly Alan Silvestri doing an incredible job with the uh, Avengers stuff. Um, and some of the Captain America stuff is incredible as well. So... Maybe just this is one that gets caught up with the time that it was dropped and the time that it was made. It's not a score that necessarily stands out that strongly to me as well. You know, and there aren't that many emotion. Well, I guess there are, but I, I don't feel the score when I'm watching those emotional beats. I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Can Can I ask a stupid question that has no answer? Okay. <laughs> um, what makes a god a god in the Marvel <laughs> universe? Like, why are these? So there are a bunch of super powerful people from yes. all over the galaxy. Yes. Many of them seem to live forever. Yes. Some of them are gods. Yeah. Some of them are not. Right. Is there a definition of what makes them gods? Is it, yeah, there must be some delineation, right? Isn't mythology? But if you're part of a mythology, then you're a god. Isn't that how it works? I don't know. No, I mean, they're characters in mythology who are not gods. Well, I, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, well, I think you know, you know what it is. Because here, in a mythology, yeah, a mythology deals with the creation of the universe. Yes, and so in Greek mythology, that you know, there are the Titans, and then there's Zeus, and there's you know Gaia, and that's how the universe comes into be, and this is right. how humans came to be, and except, and so if you believe in that mythology, then they are gods. Right. But if you have multiple mythologies and, you know, do, did Thor and Odin create the universe? It feels like and, Odin created the universe. It feels like Odin is essentially Zeus in the Norse yeah. mythology. So, so 
Thor is essentially Christ, the Christ figure to the God figure, and Loki being the devil figure to the Christ figure in Norse mythology. Now, this might blow some of you religious people's minds, but yes, this kind of stuff has been around for <laughs> quite some time in different cultures in the same formats. So you do sense here that, and the mother is killed in the second movie. I think Frigga does die at some point in the comics. So it's like, it's that kind of thing. So you have a little bit of a sacrifice within the overall story here. So interesting, interesting, Steve. So yeah, I, I think, I think if you're connected to, to Odin, you're a God okay. in some way, but if you're not connected to him, even if it's not by blood, uh, you're not a God. Like, I don't think the three warriors or the warriors three are gods. I think they're demigods. I don't think they're gods. I, I think I I kind of go like this is just the name that we call this group of powerful people. We call them gods. We call <laughs> these ones titans. We call these ones eternals. We call these ones, you know, we just have different names for the super powerful people that we run across. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I like Eric Gregner here. Eric Gregner trying to drop all the knowledge on us. He says, I stand by my statement. Dead again and Hamlet are well composed have well composed Maison but they lack a vibrancy and depth that has been more apparent in his work of late. One way I think he has improved as a director. That might be fair. Did you I, hear him, by the way, he was on Mark Marin uh, a couple of months ago? Rana, yes, I loved that interview. So oh, good. I didn't, I didn't know him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. I didn't know he was a working class guy from poor family who had to, who went with the rich kids at, at the uh, uh, elite school to, teach to, to learn shakespeare in a different way i had no idea he was blood and gut shakespeare and after the interview i mean it made me reappreciate henry v even more and that may be why it, it worked on me at a young age so well when i didn't understand how to break through shakespeare because he presented in a way that was from the working class approach right. yeah well and i didn't know that he was just this intense passionate somewhat crazy energetic artist guy you know yeah, what i mean right, like yeah. he was just like a talk a mile a minute just so there was just passion just pouring off of him right i i i, I think he's i i'm really glad it's a really good interview and i really feel like i got to know him in a different way you know yeah yeah i you know my dad uh towards the end of his life the way he didn't like a movie he showed you didn't like a movie. he fell asleep in the movie okay this is my dad um he stayed awake for all four hours of Hamlet when we went to see it in D.C. in the Uptown. He didn't sleep once. And I thought for sure my father was going to fall asleep. And he enjoyed the hell out of it. And so there's a there's an approach he has that I guess we, had, we hadn't even known, maybe on a subconscious level, we may have glimpsed it. But it wasn't until I listened to the interview, as you said, you listened to the interview, that it changed your perspective on him completely, you know? I think, you know, how there are various people like Barack Obama puts out his list of favorite books and favorite oh, yeah. movies. Every... Your dad's list of favorite movies <laughs> fascinates me. It's, it's fascinating. He fell asleep through Braveheart, but he loved the shit out of Amadeus. You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's, it's crazy. It, it really is. I, I he's in a, He was an unusual cat in, in all the best ways, for sure. I wonder, I, I, I never met your father. I wish uh, that I had. There had to be some artist in him. You know what I mean? Like, yes, th there was a deep, sensitive person. Maybe he didn't show it to you very often, but he yeah. had to be in there. Oh, I think that at the tail end of his life, he did show it. And it helped me to understand 
why he was so abrasive as a to us in his younger years because that sensitive thing inside of him in an overtly masculine Latino culture was ridiculed. And so he right. had to develop an angry, thick skin to survive, to fight against it, to not be called names, to not be seen in a certain yeah. way. And that overdeveloped sense of machismo is what kind of uh, wrecked some of our relationships early on with all his kids, the relationships early on in our upbringing. And that was the stuff that later on when he got cancer and diabetes that he kind of dropped the walls as he got older and was able to talk about it more. And yeah, I agree. My father was an artist, a, a sensitive artist, incredibly intelligent in his own way and uh, just an unfortunate victim of circumstance for yeah. his upbringing and an area of upbringing as well. So yeah. My, yeah. my dad, yeah, my dad was certainly not an artist. <laughs> I don't think he had anything like that in him at all. Super smart guy. Yeah. My my Your dad, dad was not, is a smart or was a smart guy. I, I loved him. Oh. Yeah. He was really smart. Yeah. My but my dad was always smart in a linear way, not in a creative way. Uh -huh. So like I, I I've told you the trivial pursuit story about my dad, right? Please tell it again. So, so my dad was an incredible game player. Yeah. Like, and and not only would he beat you at dominoes and bridge and hearts and gin, and he like he like paid his way through optometric school by gambling at gin. Wow. Like that was a big part of it. But he would t insult you as you played and tell you he would tell you the cards that you were in your hand and why you should... your dad was a trash. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And, and, and it was always teaching you. Yeah. Like, you know, you should have played the three of hearts because then this would have happened and that would have happened. And it's like, dad, I can't. So it, when we play Trivial Pursuit, you know how you play it, like you have the little pie and you put the yeah. pieces in the pie and you get the middle and win. My dad's goal was to get all the pieces of the pie, get to the middle, win, and then go around again, take all the pieces out and get yeah. to the middle and win again before anyone else in the family could win. Yeah. Which he frequently did. But he wasn't a creative thinker. Uh, anyway, I wasn't going to tell you that. I, wait, I disagree with you. To talk trash, you have to That's be true. creative. There, to be a good trash talker and know the buttons to push in order to beat people, you have to be. And and look, a guy who plays, who gambles to pay for their schooling, oh, yeah. there's a certain level of creativity in that that is not as linear as you think, Steve. So he may have been linear as he got older, but I think he was creative <laughs> in his own way. It, it's a it's a good point and well he he was super smart and it, it's not art he wasn't artistic i guess right, is maybe more accurate yeah, okay. i i here, another quick story just because it occurred to me and i i don't have that much more to say about thor anyway um, <laughs> but but uh so my dad always beat me at ping pong and oh, i go off like fucking ping pong. yeah and i go off to college and in the dorms there's a ping pong table and i'm at berkeley which is it has a huge Asian population. Yes. And at lunch every day, I played ping pong with a bunch of Chinese guys and got the shit kicked out of me for a semester, but I got good. Yeah. And I, you know, and, you know, and really got good at ping pong. And I went, okay, when I get back home, I'm going to challenge my dad to ping pong. I'm going to kick his ass. And I get back home. He starts talking trash. He starts, and my dad likes to put lots of spin on the ball. And I, so I go, I got to outspin him. And he kicked the shit out of me. And I was so angry because I was like, and I was like, no, I know I'm better than him. Right. And I let, he got in my head. And so like, I went back and it was full Rocky. I went back to the dorm. I played even more ping pong in the dorm. And then I came back and I, and I destroyed him. 
And not only did I destroy him, that but I I started beating him left-handed. Whoa! So and not you telling did exactly yeah. what he did. You learned from your father the lesson. Because <laughs> you play beating him left-handed is essentially going back, taking the pieces out, and winning them again before anybody else can win. That's exactly it. But I didn't actually tell him. <laughs> he might have been proud of you for doing that. I, I, I oh, that he would have been. He, he he definitely would have been. Yeah. Um, he he that was how his brain worked i don't actually like beating someone that i like playing well you're not a I trash don't... talker that i've discovered no. unless you unless you're doing something in the judo gym no. that i don't know about i don't sense that you're a trash talker. no i don't mean I don't... that in a negative way either I just no don't sense that you're a trash talker. not my nature <laughs> i love that eric had steve steve pulled the princess right <laughs> i am not left-handed <laughs> Um, all right, Steve, anything more to say before we wrap up? I mean, I think it's perfect that we talked, we talked dad stories on the Thor <laughs> conversation all about father son stuff, but anything more to say on this one? Uh, only that I am totally looking forward to 2025, six, seven, eight, sure. when we do Ragnarok. I don't know yeah. when that's going to be, yeah. um, but I'm totally looking forward to that. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're going to keep going down the Marvel path with these movies, step by step, piece by piece, honoring them on their anniversaries of coming out once they cross a certain year. Uh, so it, we're looking forward to catching up on all those. We hope you're enjoying these conversations. We are picking the ones we're going to do full deep dives on and the and the ones that we're not will drop on as a Cinephiles live episode. So we're still honoring them uh, in some way uh, uh, through the Cinephiles brand. So there you go. And thank you to everyone who joined us live. Can I ask, can I ask a quick question first? Sorry. Sorry. So next we have Captain America and then we have Avengers, which actually was 2012. Yeah. So my question is for you, and I'm curious what other people think, yeah. is Captain America a full cinephile show Fuck or a live yeah. show? In fact, I think we should invite Shannon McClung for that one. Okay. Because Shannon right. and I saw that for the first time together at Comic-Con at a secret screening oh, that wow. they had at a theater uh, at the uh, theater there, right by the, the convention center that was a 10-theater thing, there was maybe 20 people in the theater. Nobody knew what the MCU was going to become. Maybe wow. Feige knew, but nobody knew. And that was the movie where I was like, oh, shit, this is going to be something. If they get it right, this is going to be massive. Um, and so, yeah. So Shannon and I, and I went back and saw it like three more times. Um, uh before I stopped watching it in the theater because it was such one of my favorites, one of my favorites in the MCU. Well, you, you heard it here first. It'll be a full Cinephiles episode with Shannon McClung. Yeah. And also, so Jack Moon has now asked this question five times. Jack Moon? Is, yes. Oh, sorry. Jack Moon. Here we go. Would you ever do Fiddler on the Roof? Not only would I do Fiddler on the Roof, I might sing the whole fucking show while we're doing Fiddler on the Roof. I love Fiddler on the Roof. Tradition. I mean, Steve has said before, officially on the show, that I'm an honorary Jew. So I absolutely love Fiddler. I even went one time because I, when we, before we moved to San Diego, we lived in Beverly Hills, not where you think, ladies and gentlemen. There are lower cost areas of Beverly Hills, <laughs> and um, that uh, uh, theater on Wilshire, I think mm -hmm. the Royale or whatever it's called. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. They had sing-alongs for Fiddler on the Roof during the Jewish holidays and mm. I went one time and I sat there and I had the greatest time, the greatest time listening to these older Jewish people singing along to all the songs <laughs> and seeing how those songs 
resonated with them emotionally. Do you know what I'm saying? Because I, I love the songs, but I'm not in the culture. I'm not Jewish. I didn't grow up Jewish. I don't know. You know, I know only know it from the outside. But seeing their faces as they sang with such joy, such emotion, such pain, um, I was what took Fiddler Roof to the next level. Fuck that Rocky Horror shit. It, Fiddler on the Roof sing along took me to the next level, man. So, well, it makes. I, I mean, it. It is an immigrant story. I mean, yes. it's a, it's you know before they immigrate, but it is definitely and it's definitely stuff that you and I have talked about of generational things and yes. moving forward and whether you hold on to the past. I haven't watched it in a long time, uh, and it would be interesting to watch it now. I think it just um, came out in four K. Oh yeah, it just came out like a, in over the last year in four K. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, there's so much in that story, as you said. And I think it's John Williams' first Oscar as a composer was was Fiddler yeah. on the Roof. And this is Norman well, Jewison, the most appropriate name director for Fiddler on the well, Roof. So. And, and honestly, you know, we've done some heavy movies. We're embarking yeah. on what we now call the season of Lee. Yeah, true. Uh, and, yes, and, and by the time we get done with that, I maybe I could use a nice musical, you know? Yeah, I'm absolutely yeah. down. So, and no, Jack Moon, I didn't think you were spamming us. No, uh, I thought it was a good question. Yeah, sometimes you have to keep knocking on the door before the door is open. We opened it, so there we go. Um, all right. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Quick question. Do either of you believe you would be worthy to lift Mjolnir, and what does being worthy actually mean in this country? I think that's a good thing to end the show on. Do, personally, I would never even want to find out if I'm worthy enough to lift Mjolnir myself personally, so I wouldn't even try. Um, and I think being worthy means someone who is good-hearted. And um, it isn't about uh, like doing everything. It's about being good hearted uh, instinctively, impulsively. I think that's a worthy person. I, I would 100% try to lift it just like I would 100% try to pull Excalibur out of the stone. I would totally put on the sorting hat. I would do all of those things. Well, the sorting hat's different. I, I sure. would go with the sorting hat. But yeah. Um, I absolutely, if, if I had a friend who owned a wand shop, I would want to be the person who, you know, but instead he picked my kid to give a wand to. But, oh, well, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I don't know that I would be worthy, but I do think it's situational. Like, I think yeah. that actually you know that if in that moment you were going to do the self-sacrificing heroic thing i think maybe you could pull up molinar it's not that you've been perfect your entire life mm. that's not what being worthy means it's worthy right now yeah right you know? fair, point. fair point we shall see i wouldn't do it though man. i would love it what you were doing if your dad was talking shit the whole time oh my god he totally would <laughs> <laughs> are you sure you want to hold it like that all right if you think that's gonna that's gonna be yeah. what you take to lift it all right <laughs> Look at Eric Redner trying to kick me off my own show. He goes, come on, John. Maybe let Stephen Mance do it alone. Hey, Eric, when you start a show, you can kick people off your show. Maybe kiss my ass. No way I'm missing uh, uh, doing uh, uh, Fiddler on the Roof with Steve. No what? Way. No that is the That is the craziest comment I've seen so far. <laughs> Never. Yeah, thank you, man. All right, well, let's get on out of here. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us live. Uh, the chat was lively as hell all through it, so thank you so much. Please remember, hit a like on this video as you're listening to us wrap up and if you're watching us later uh, thank you very much for doing that please hit a like as well and leave a comment down below to let us know what you thought about our comments on thor and what your feelings are about thor and don't be afraid to disagree with us we love hearing some good uh, difference of opinions on films it's what we enjoy most about doing the cinephiles steve um thanks again another fun time where can people find you my man 
uh sr morris that's listed right over there sr morris one on instagram and if you're into star trek enterprise incidents uh which i do with scott mance who will never replace john roca that is how dare you <laughs> oh i oh he's clearing up eric i guess was saying metropolis not fiddler ah metropolis that's a rough watch man um uh, i don't if we'd ever do metropolis. i think it is an important movie it is a visually stunning movie yeah, yeah. it is an interesting movie and much like your dad it'll put me to sleep <laughs> yes it, i fell asleep through metropolis like five times when we did it yeah. for the top 10 it was it was painful painful yeah uh but it, but i and i love silent some silent movies i absolutely love sure just with something about it uh as for me you can find me at the roca says on twitter and on instagram my own uh, outlet the outlaw nation on youtube youtube.com slash john roca says the geek buddies and the top 10 out there a podcast format to enjoy and if you want to hang out on twitch i'll be doing some more stuff on twitch the outlaw nation all one word on twitch uh, is there as well all right we're out of here you guys are the best thank you so much for joining us look for our episode for spike lee our introduction to the season of lee coming out this friday and if you're a patron of the uh, of the uh, cinephiles, you will know that now or that our most recent cinephile short dropped, which is talking about what length or the cutting of the categories. What was it? This it was the Oscars and dumping eight categories off the live show. Yeah, which uh, pissed us off. Yeah, it did, and we had to start. It almost became a medium. We were complaining about it for yeah. so long. So just letting yeah. you guys know, it's definitely something you should listen to for sure. All right, we'll be back next month with another cinephiles live episode. Thanks again, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new show here from the cinephiles peace take care of yourselves be well while i find the video because i didn't have a queued up bye what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.